Hey, what's up, Hug Fam? This is Justin, your 32nd host, and welcome to episode number 132. I just really want to say thank you for making this community happen and for your downloads and for your engagement. You know, if you please, 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 please like to reach out, let us know how you feel so I can tell our staff and our leadership team here that would be amazing. Well, if you haven't found out now, our big announcement for Hug is that. Yes, we are rebranding. So we are changing our name, changing this podcast, and letting you all know that our vision for this church, for this community, is that we can be a group that loves God, loves people, loves food, and becomes vulnerable with one another around the table. And so our new church name will be Supper Church. Yes, so church around the dinner table. And if you're interested, want to help us out, please reach out to us. We would love to hear from you. Well, this week's podcast, we have Eddie continuing the vision for this church and how we can be a people that invest well into each other's lives. So without further ado, here's Eddie Park. What's up, everybody? My name is Eddie, and I'm the founding and teaching pastor here at Hug. And the question of the day was, what's the best event you were ever invited to? What's the best event you were ever invited to? Maybe some of you said it was an extravagant birthday party. Maybe it was a beautiful wedding where the wedding officiant was hilarious and made you laugh and cry. And doing the entire ceremony in less than 30 minutes. I'm available, by the way. Wink, wink. And, and maybe it was an international trip to Europe or Asia where you got to experience a new culture and see the world outside of the United States and experience new food. Well, for me, the best event I ever got invited to was a Kanye West concert. Yes, I got invited to watch Kanye West for his St. Pablo tour back in 2016 and the craziest thing about this concert was instead of performing in front of like a stage where everybody's watching him he actually performed on this tiny floating platform that moved around the entire town the entire time over a crowd and I don't know if you've ever been to a rap or hip-hop concert or heard like live, a live rap performance before, but they are terrible. It is terrible because basically they're, they're like, instead of rapping, they're just yelling into the mic and they have a bunch of hype man just yelling every other word of their song and it's not them singing it. It's like this, like this posse singing it. But this wasn't the case. Uh, this wasn't just the greatest rap concert or performance that I've ever seen. This was probably the best musical performance I have ever witnessed in my entire life. But what made this event the best event, what made it so special was not because of just the music, but because of the experience. You know, before Kanye did his Sunday services and his gospel album, Jesus is King, the St. Pablo Tour concert was actually set up to mimic a cathedral church service. And if you know the album, The Life of Pablo, the first song on the album is a song called Ultra Light Beam, which has the Reverend Kirk Franklin actually preach on the album. And the song ends with Kirk Franklin actually praying. And he prays this prayer. Father, this, is, this prayer is for everyone that feels that they're not good enough. This prayer is for everyone that feel that they've messed up, that they're too messed up, for everyone that feels 
They've said, I'm sorry too many times. You can never go too far when you can't come back home again. And the reason I share this is because at this concert that I was at, Kanye ended the show with this song. And as I looked around the entire arena, I saw everyone lifting up their hands during this prayer. I saw people around me crying. I saw people singing the hook of the song, which says, I'm trying to keep my faith, but I'm looking for more, somewhere I can feel safe and end my holy war. And I was stunned. I was stunned because at this event, I saw all types of people, young, old, white, Asian, Latino, black, like, like mostly every type of person you don't see come to church. And it dawned on me that all the people that are not normally coming to church, they're here. They are coming to places like this for a spiritual experience. Now, I know that might feel like a stretch, but that was my experience and main takeaway from that event. And it was after that event, we started Hug Church. Because when I, when I asked, what's the best event you've ever been invited to? How many of you said church or church experience? You know, church is supposed to be this experience that is life-changing. Church is supposed to be this place where you experience love. Church is supposed to be this event where you can meet and experience God. And if that's true, then this should be the best things. This should be the best event that you've ever been invited to. This is the best thing that you could ever invite someone to. And if this is true, then it should be so easy to invite people to church. Well, the reality is that it's not the event that we want to invite people to. It's not this event where people are dying to, to, for people to come and experience it. You, know, you have to come to this. You have to try this. But what I want to talk about today is, then how do we invite people to church? How do we invite people to church, especially in 2021? We all have friends and, and loved ones that we want them to know God. We have people we know who needs a loving family and community. And it's become so difficult to invite people to a place like church. You know, last week, I made a big announcement for our church that we will be making a big strategic shift that in the fall, we will change our name. We will change our church name from Hug to Supper Church to renew our identity and redeem the reputation of the church in the world. And we want to do that by focusing and looking more like a dinner party. And if you, and if you missed it, you can listen to or watch that message where I explained this from last week. But today, I wanna to talk more about why we need to look more like a dinner party. When it comes to church, I wanna share three key points. And the first point I wanna make is, dinner is normal. Church is not. Dinner is a very common thing. Every single person does dinner. When you say the word dinner, 
There's not a single person that doesn't know what you're talking about. But when you say the word church, the person doesn't know what that looks like. When I invite people to church, they think that I'm bringing them to like a Catholic mass in an old cathedral and the messages are like still in Latin and they have to stand and sit and sing, you know, sing sim, uh, uh, hymns throughout the service. Or other people think that I'm inviting them to this like Pentecostal revival under a tent where people are like barking like dogs. Woof, woof. And, and the preacher is telling the ushers to pass around the plate like 50 times throughout the service. I remember bringing friends to my church and they found it so odd that there was music and that people were like clapping to the music and they shared that I felt, I've never been to any event where people are clapping to the beat during the song and closing their eyes and lifting up their hands. And I think for some of us, who have been raised in the church, we forget that the practices we do in the church are not very normal to people who have never experienced it. Even the act of prayer, right? We take for granted that someone knows that prayer is, that someone prays that they, they bow their heads and they close their eyes and fold their hands. That's not a very normal people, that's not a very normal thing. That's not, the norm, that's not normal to people who have no religious backgrounds. And on the other side, people who come from different religions are so shocked at how casual church culture is today. For Muslims, you, you know, they, they think you should be on your hands and knees, prostrate to the ground if you're praying to the Creator, God of the universe. And others are appalled at the fact that people can just walk into the house of God with a Starbucks cup and wearing flip-flops. But dinner is a very normal, universal act. And we see that Jesus uses dinner as a way to disciple and cultivate a church community. Church is essentially a place where people are serving together and reconciling and forgiving one another. And sometimes that takes very hard and real conversations. Last week I mentioned the Last Supper. And at the Passover meal, we see Jesus, instead of creating this formal gathering or business meeting to talk about some beef or dysfunction that is happening in the group, he does it over dinner. And when he announces his own death, he doesn't do it in a very political stump speech type of event, but he does it with his closest friends and tells them over supper. So let's read the Last Supper again from Matthew chapter 26. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want, to, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He, he replied, go into the city to, tell, to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to one another, uh, uh, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with, with me will betray me. The Son of Man will, just, will go just as it is written, about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It will be better for him if he had not been born. 
Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father in heaven. When they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. Now, addressing betrayal, announcing your own death or resignation, confessing sin. These are all things that definitely happen in a church body. But can you imagine? Can you imagine if Jesus did all of this outside of the Last Supper meal? Can you imagine if he created this public event where anyone could come and and declare to everyone that Judas will betray him. You know, I actually know of a church, a very, very famous big church, who announces a list of people's name who are unrepentant of their sin. These are people who are found having affairs or unlawfully divorcing their spouse or abusing drugs and abusing others, and they list their names do the entire congregation tells them not to associate with them and treat them like an unbeliever. And I remember I used to believe that this was the right thing to do. That's because, yeah, that's biblical, right? But when I read and study the life of Jesus, I start to wonder, eh, is that how Jesus would go about doing that? It doesn't seem very normal to me. But dinner is a very normal event. It's normal to have good, but also very hard conversations over dinner. And a lot of what life, a lot of what happens in the church is a series of good, but also hard conversations in order to help love each other better. Now, the second point I wanna make is food is God's love language. Food is God's love language. Since the beginning of time, God shows his love to humanity saying, you can eat from any tree. You can choose anything. And out of love, he also says, but don't eat this one. This one is not good for you. When the Israelites were starving in the desert after they left Egypt, God showed his love for them by raining down manna and quail so that they can eat. As a blessing to his people, God would bless the land so that the harvest and grain would be plentiful. Jesus would feed thousands when they would come to hear him speak. Food is God's love language, but not only the food itself, but God would do amazing things during the actual meal. We see throughout the gospels that Jesus would do miracles and give amazing teachings during meals and we see that God shows his love with wisdom and blessing coupled with food. You know, in the story of the road to Emmaus, the disciples run into the resurrected Jesus and we see what happens when they encounter him. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 24. Now 
That same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came and walked along with them, but they, they, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these, in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, is, is, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told that they had seen a vision of angels who, uh, who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they, had go they were going, Jesus continued on if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, No, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to, the to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened up the scriptures? Something special always happens at these meals that goes beyond the meal itself. It's a story. It's a conversation. It's a special insight. It's a pleasant time. But Jesus chose to reveal himself to the disciples at yet another meal. So it's safe to say that God shows his love to us not only with food, but also when we eat the food. The third thing I want to mention today is it's easier to be vulnerable at a table. It's easier to be vulnerable at a table. You know, church is meant to be a place for the weary and the broken, a place where you can just come as you are, a place where you can be vulnerable. But it's hard when you walk into a church with light shows and fog and mist and there's like this professional band and it looks more like a tech conference convention experience. You're not exactly in the mood to share your deepest, darkest pains and wounds. But again, we see some of the most powerful healing that Jesus does is not just physical, but emotional. And the emotional healing happens at a table or over a meal. In the Gospel of John, we see that, that Peter denied Jesus three times. And after Jesus predicted it and told him, Peter was still so sure that he would never. 
But as we read in the story, Peter ends up denying to know Jesus just as it was predicted. And Peter was devastated. He hit rock bottom. He knew he was supposed to be the rock on which the church was supposed to stand. He was the senior leader, the senior disciple amongst Jesus' followers. And he failed them and he failed himself. But we see Jesus redeem Peter. But how he does it is so interesting because Jesus does it over breakfast. In John chapter 21, it reads this. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you had just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, but even with so, many the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Now here we see another powerful moment, a crucial conversation, a life-altering conversation happening again over a meal, over breakfast. And it's not a coincidence, as we've seen throughout the entire Bible, these big moments are happening over a meal together, around a table. And these are the most powerful moments that we expect to happen in the church We expect celebrations. We expect hard conversations. We expect people to feel loved, heard, known, accepted. We expect people to experience life-altering moments and life change. We expect people to heal spiritually and emotionally. But maybe an easier way to invite people into that experience is if we invite them to have a meal. We invite them to coffee and a bagel. We invite them to breakfast or lunch or dinner. Maybe before we invite people to church, we invite them to eat. So how do we invite people to church? Before we invite people to church, we should invite them to dinner. This month, We're going to be doing a series called Table Life, where we'll be talking about how to do life around a table and how we should focus on saving seats, not just saving souls. And today, we're having a picnic at the park where we eat together and do life around a picnic table. And I want to invite you to come today and come to our future events. We're doing suppers at some of our leaders' homes and we want to invite you to come to dinner We want to serve you, hear your story, and do life with you. We want to be a community that invites you to dinner before inviting you to a church experience. Because a church experience might not be for everyone. Or you might not be ready to step into a building and do church or church again. But that doesn't mean you can't belong to a spiritual community and experience love and experience service. 
and even figuring out how to grow deeper and closer with God. We invite you to come eat with us. We invite you to come dine with us. And I hope to be a community that reflects God's community more like how Jesus would have done it. So I invite you to eat. Let's pray together. God, I want to thank you for today's message and I thank you for every single person that is listening. God, I pray for anyone who has grieved this past year, who have been hurt by the church or hurt by religion. I pray for anyone who has lost, lost faith, not, not in you, but in, in the spiritual community. And God, as we have read these stories about how Jesus heals people, how Jesus heals his listeners and his followers and his disciples emotionally and spiritually. God, we just want to do our best to do it how Jesus would have done it. So God, as you have called us into this new chapter into the life of our church where we're doing life around a table, when we're almost going back to basics, inviting people to coffee, inviting people to a picnic, inviting people to our homes for dinner. We pray, God, that people will be healed, that lives will be changed and transformed, that people will come and draw near to you even more so than before because we are just loving people simply. So God, as we have heard this lesson and message and we go into this series about how to do life around the table, help us, God. Help us to have courage to love people simply, to not make it so overly complicated, but to serve them and do relationship with them. So God, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.